I'll be 10,000 years in paradise, God willing, and will not be able to penetrate the mystery of how the omnipotent son of God had to learn to walk from his mother and his father, from, from Mary and Joseph chosen from the people of Israel to raise the son of God as their son, as their own. Friends, welcome back to another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. If you are traveling episode by episode this spring, you will recall a podcast that we did with Simon Kine on Lent and the preparation of Easter. It was meant to be a podcast to recover the category of liturgy. And this podcast episode, I've invited Simon back And we're going to take a second pass at liturgy in the context of Advent, the second greatest sacred season in the Christian calendar, and one that we are on the precipice of as this podcast publishes. And so, Simon Kine, welcome back for a part two of this podcast on liturgy featuring a celebration and a curiosity about Advent. So, Simon, what is Advent? Thank you, Morgan. Again, wonderful to be here. Advent, at its heart, at its deepest, deepest meaning, is about encounter. It's a return to the original uh, turning to God that is this encounter with Jesus Christ. Advent points towards a mystery that is so holy yet so inviting. God does not draw close to us in competition with creation. He takes on human flesh to be both truly God and truly man. He enters into our noisy and distracted and chaotic world unexpectedly as a child, as a child. And so out of that, Advent posits the question, are we willing as believers to take the holy risk of letting this encounter, capital E encounter, with the child of Bethlehem change us and restore us and draw us close to the Father? It's so good. And Father, we do pray. We pray, Father, would you come and father us through this conversation? Would you fill us, illuminate us by your spirit with what you have for your sons and daughters today? Advent is a period of reflection. It's a period of preparation It comes from the Latin advenio, which means to come to. We think about uh, John and Andrew being dispatched by St. John the Baptist, and we'll come back to St. John the Baptist in this conversation. They ask Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see this idea of coming or entering or going more deeply. Uh, Advent is a particular period of time in the liturgical year for those churches or traditions that follow a liturgical year. So you start with Christmas, which is always the 25th of December, and then you back up four Sundays. So on or about the last few days of November, the first few days of December, you'll land on four Sundays out in time from, from Christmas that is called the first Sunday of Advent. And it grew out of a desire in the heart of the church 
they think sometime in the fourth century. So we're talking about the period of time in the Roman Empire when at long last the Christian faith was legal. The freedom of religion for the Christians was bestowed. And various leaders and, and followers of Jesus at the time began to commemorate Christmas. And then in the uh, the desire that, that Christmas be in this darkest time of the year for the Northern Hemisphere, so for us, late December, there was this follow-on prayer. We can't just kind of be going through the motions of life, whatever late in the calendar year looks like. We want to be people... Um, in the world, but not of the world, as St. Paul says. And so uh, you take this time to prepare. In the original understanding, Advent is a protected time and space leading up to Christmas. Again, four Sundays, anywhere from three to four weeks of just um, prayer and preparation. But given that it also overlays with the time again in the northern hemisphere when the, the nights are getting longer the days are getting shorter and in the natural cadence of creation it's it's like things are are, are, are being more drawn out and protracted it was also a uh, anticipation of the second coming of Christ and so it's this dual layered beautiful thing liturgically where uh, we we anticipate Christ's incarnation his birth at Christmas and then secondly, his second coming when he will come to judge the living and the dead. I just love the layers of that, Simon. Already I'm moved by the idea that it's a practice for over 2,000 years, that it was intended, as you're saying, at the darkest time of the year. It's just fascinating because I'm even feeling we're recording this in late September in literally the last three days in Colorado, there has been a larger shift in light and dark in, in, in kind of the cycle of, of the, the days changing, where the days are getting shorter in larger percentages over these last three days, and you can just feel the shift in the air. Seasons are really important for the soul. And for you to say it's not only the anticipation, the preparation of the celebration of Christmas and the incarnation, but it's it's a readying for the final Christmas, right? Like for the restoration of all things and the light to come into darkness. And so just as you're saying that on this day, it's already pulling me out from just the minutia of the stuff I got to do, right? And thinking about all the demands and requirements and in, and it's causing me to pause and ask as a man, what is, what is I'm, I'm getting curious to God's curiosity, how do I prepare for the, for the second coming? How do I protect time as a man, as a leader over a family and a mission entrusted to my care? How do I actually protect and preserve the sacred and invite people, first and foremost, my own heart, but people to have a context to engage soulfully in order that when Christmas comes around, that we're ready, right? Like the, par like the parable of the, the virgins and the oil lamps and the oil. Some were ready for his coming of the bridegroom and some were not. And all of that is, is mythic 
pointing to the second coming, I want to be ready. Right. Yeah, well said. So Matthew 25, you have the wise virgins and the foolish virgins who are waiting the return of the bridegroom. And obviously the bridegroom is one of the titles of Christ. Um, Advent draws upon that spirituality. The, uh, The important thing is it's very joyful. It's a time of anticipation, expectation, preparation for someone who will come. Um, as a man, I think it's really important to look at, first of all, just a return to the larger story. I think for all of us, and you know, Dallas Willard is awesome. He says in the divine conspiracy, we, the believers, are invited to make a pilgrimage into the heart and the life of God. Advent is this time uh, to prepare in that joyful way to give more of ourselves over to God. As you teach in the intensive and in your talks, when the will of God collides with the will of man, one must die. So as a man, what are those ways in which in my own will, God's calling me to die or to let go of myself Some words of St. John the Baptist are helpful. He says, I must decrease that he, pointing to Jesus, the Lamb of God, must increase. And so some ways that Advent gets us into this space. Number one, separate from just the change of the seasons, the shorter days, the longer nights, Advent collides liturgically with the bowl season for American football in the United States. Essentially, Thanksgiving <laughs> hits. And in this country, and we got international listeners uh, around the world. So just culturally here in the United States, Advent is this delightful countercultural shift that as the cadence of holiday preparations and doing the shopping and hanging the lights and kind of you know, going to your Seattle coffee house and all of the eggnog beverages are now available kind of mid-October through, you know, third week of December. (laughs) The church sort of says, hey, time out, time out, time out. If we put ourselves into the sandals, if you will, of the apostles and those that walked with them, they encountered the Messiah as the fulfillment of all of the promises to Israel, all of the prophecies of Isaiah, of all the prophets, of the coming of he who will be the new David, the new king of Israel. And so the readings that the church invites us to reflect upon are indeed those prophecies. To take three to four weeks before the 25th of December when Jesus comes in, in Bethlehem, to re- return to that posture of the, 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 the faithful, the loyal, the true, the folks that before Jesus entered onto the stage of human history, that, that from that moment forward, the world was ever different because God himself had taken on flesh and walked upon this earth. It's important to return to this because of two things. One, we need to hear as men, the promises of the Lord are true. Mm-hmm. And they are utterly fulfilled in, through, and by one man, Jesus Christ. Number two, when you, when you do that, and, and Chesterton, C.S. Lewis, some of the other great writers on, on just the staggering approachability of God, which before that time, what was it? It was a temple where the holiest of holies was veiled. 
And you're telling me now the Holy of Holies is resting in this small manger, this small straw laden place in a stable. It stunned them. It, it, they, they were both inspired and, and intellectually in some ways confounded. We need to be too. We need to return to a posture of embracing mystery. Back to liturgical adornments that point to this. The color worn and or the way the churches are uh, arrayed during the time of Advent is purple. If we go back to our Lent conversation, we talked about purple as penitential. It reflects on the purple cloak that was wrapped around Christ during the time of his passion. Advent's purple is not that penitential thrust. Uh, certainly penance and, and preparation is, is uh, recommended. It's actually the color of the sky before dawn. Mm. You have that deep night, I'm sure, with your hunting experience and other outback adventures. You have that moment where it's the coldest time of the night. Dawn has yet to break. But before dawn itself, or the sky, now you can truly tell the sky is getting light. There's this purple. There's this glimmer of something about to change and the new day coming. The purple that is arrayed in churches and on liturgical vestments and the like draws from that that um, anticipation of what will be the light shining in the darkness, the darkness mm. not overcoming mm. it. It's a fascinating metaphor. I live in view of Pikes Peak on Colorado's Front Range, and the song was penned looking at Pikes Peak on a sunrise of purple mountain majesties above the fruited plains. And we all know what that is, that, that, that very haunting color. I think what I hear in what you're saying, Simon, is behind it all is a person, the person of God that's actually pursuing us, that in the midst of all the crap, in the midst of all the too much and never enough, that we find ourselves in ordinary everyday life in a modern era, when we peel back the layers using the tools, using the architecture of liturgy, we find a person. And that's the term I really appreciate as I've reflected on this. And even actually from our Lenten podcast we did in the spring, I've really thought that liturgy is, is simply the architecture for masculine initiation. It's the structure of practices and activities that allow us to participate with a person to come ever closer into this heart of God, into this pilgrimage, right? To become alive, to become whole. And that phrase that you use that um, it's a preparation not for something, but for someone. I want to linger on that for a moment because... This stuff is so familiar in some ways, the things of Christmas and the manger, that they become inaccessible. And I wonder as men, if we were to pause and say, what would Advent be like if we knew we were preparing for a person? I, I was thinking back and praying about my engagement when you had kind of pitched that idea earlier this week when we were chatting. And... Think of our engagement. Sherry was in Nashville. I was in Pittsburgh. She was a student at Vanderbilt. I had already graduated. She was supposed to be going on a, a weekend retreat with some students, but I was working mischievously in the background to hijack those plans. And so I called her leader saying she won't be attending. 
And I called my buddy and then I sent him in the mail a stack of clues for a scavenger hunt. So the hour before she was supposed to leave, he handed her a stack of clues and and 50 bucks or at the time it was probably 20 bucks for a tank of gas now that I think about it, but enough for a tank of gas. And she headed east out of Nashville and hours later ended up at this place at Fall Creek Falls. And what she didn't know was I was getting ready for days for weeks, for months, and in fact, for years. And I, there were practical things I was getting ready. I, pa- I packed my mom's china, and I had these goldfish for a centerpiece for this table and candles out the wazoo and gardenias and everything preparing. But what's so important about that preparation, I wasn't preparing for something, the engagement. I was preparing for someone. I was carrying three journals that I had written every day through our courtship. In those journals, it was everything I wanted to say to her. But because I wasn't engaged, I wasn't showing up as a man in the way that was saying, I'm here to stay. And I felt with integrity, I wasn't ready to offer certain things to care for her heart and to claim a sort of responsibility for stewarding who God made her to be without saying, I'm in. And I'm not going anywhere. And so on that night, when I asked for her hand in marriage, I also presented her with these journals. And, 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 and the reason why I share that story is your reflection on Advent is helping me understand it's really different to just carve out some time to do a devotional to get our heart ready for Christmas. That's level one. It's a whole other posture when we say, Jesus is coming. And in fact, he has already come. And both of those truths are a reality, and they are meant to shape our everyday life in profound ways. And they're so familiar to some of us who have spent time in scriptures and spent time in redemptive communities that we've actually lost the heart of of a young believer, of someone that's really seeking out a fresh revelation of who is this Christ and what does it mean that he came fully human? And how do we spend four weeks in preparing our hearts to receive a fresh revelation in a way that we've never had before, that God is Emmanuel. He is the one with us in the absolute monotony to intensity, to dysfunction, to, to possibility of our everyday life. John chapter one, he talks about he was born among his own. There were those that did not receive him, but those who did, he gave power to become sons and daughters of God. Like what an imitation. We can't just assume or make some kind of tacit effort to receive him, that powerful word of receive. Receiving means gift. People of Israel had cried out for generations for the one true and lasting king. They knew in their history that they had been sold into slavery into Egypt and had had lost their freedoms. Later, they were conquered by the Babylonian Empire. Their temple was destroyed. They were taken into captivity. And we can read about Jeremiah and, and all the lamentations of that. And then there's this return. And now they're they're calling for the great and lasting king. But wait a minute, the Greek Empire engulfs them. And then the Roman empire engulfs them. And here we are in the the, the time of Christ when uh, they're still in captivity. Why is that important to us as men? 
we live in a culture that is awash in the self-fulfillment, self-accomplishment, self-saving world. I can I can uh, recover some sort of hack at life, some sort of shortcut, some sort of this gets easier if I have this particular regimen or routine or set of habits. God bless all of those things, but it is no replacement for God. And as sinners, as people in our own captivity who are being transformed by grace into ever-increasing glory, as, as Paul encourages us, we need, we expect, we have to return to a posture of it's not about us, and we prepare for the coming of our true and lasting king. Mm. You know, Isaiah chapter 40, comfort, comfort my people. Just that beautiful, do we just stop out of the busyness and crush of the day just to acknowledge we need God? You know, the daily prayer is incredible. I receive from you all the grace and mercy that I desperately need from you this day. That word desperately is a shift in terms of the prayer of, of the Wild at Heart team, because there's a lot of days where I live not in that desperation for God. I live out of my own self-directed desperation, my own. Yeah. I'm going to save myself and achieve something through that. You know, John the Baptist returns to Isaiah when he heralds as the herald of Christ, as the forerunner, the one who will prepare the way for Christ. He says, prepare a highway, make straight the ways of the Lord. And it heralds back to this idea of when the captives returned from Babylon, the king led them. There were throngs and, 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 and uh, crowds of people. Fast forward to the end times when Jesus returns in this second way to judge the living and the dead. What will our posture be? And so it's important to prepare. It's important to shed the uh, temptation to, if you will, tame or domesticate God and keep him in a nice tidy box. And for just one short period of time of Advent to truly prepare for this incredible encounter with Christ, the son of God, born in a, in, in a stable in Bethlehem, that we allow for some of that awe, some of that need to receive, some of that repentance, some of that turning back to the Lord with all of our hearts to take root. I love to take a period of solitude and quiet you know, we'll get into maybe some simple practices, but as one friend summarized it, solitude, which is not aloneness, it's not meant to be isolation, it's meant to be time set aside and prepared for the Lord, it allows our soul to expand, it allows for what we contain, for this grace, this life, this light of Christ growing in us to expand still further, because that's the Christian mission. At the heart of the Christian understanding of following this, this incredible man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that we ourselves are changed and we are dispatched as emissaries who are able to preach, live out of, and model the good news as best we can. We're certainly flawed instruments, but having been transformed by that encounter, that's what Christmas is meant to be. It sounds so counterintuitive, as you say, you know, when the world's heating up, the busy of holiday season in school systems and in holiday parties and Christmas preparation to choose solitude, to say, right, what, what better time there is to draw back in a way, to hit pause, to fight, 
And it may be an hour, you know, God bless you if it can be a day or more, but start with what's possible. You use the word awe, and I'm really intrigued by that, Simon, because as you know, my, my childhood, it was a kind of 50% Catholic upbringing, right? And so it was Sunday school and holy days and mass on Sundays. And I remember, if I think back to my childhood, and I'll call it the deep magic, because that's the term C.S. Lewis uses for um, uh, the kingdom of God is near, right? We've entered a thin place, as the Celtic Christians would say. The veil between this world and the next is, is, is so very thin. I remember midnight mass, Christmas Eve, and I remember the smell of incense, the sound of bells, and carols that were just transcendent. And at the time I was growing up, I'm going from little boy to teenager, and my grandparents would give us a $50 bill for Christmas every year. And I remember when I was stepping into 13, 14 years old, the magic was diminishing. And I could just feel like it was sand going through my fingers of how do I fight for the magic? I couldn't have put words to it at the time. But I began taking my $50 bill on Christmas Eve and going to someone's house and getting a little tape and taping it to someone's front door for like three or four years in a row. Because we always had the family party the Saturday before Christmas, so I had the 50. And I remember it was a desperate act to preserve the magic. There was like something in the little boy's heart that said, I don't wanna lose the magic and I have a role to play. And I share that story because what I couldn't have said at the time was there was intended to be an awe. There was intended to be um, a surrender into something and someone greater that calls me up and out of the circumstances that feel so defeating and, and, and cause me to hope. And hope is the oxygen for the soul as a man and as a woman. And so... I'm curious in reflecting on Advent, how do we return to awe? And that's a, that's a tough question, I know, but like, help, help me out. What, where, where do we get back? And I guess almost like I'll, I would say that in contrast to cynicism. If there was an opposite of awe, it's something like cynicism or something like a resignation of just do the next thing or even be a good man that has that undergirding of what you shared of that self-saving of it's all on me. Whatever it is, it's up to me. Let's talk about awe for a moment. The name Christmas is the shorthand for the mass of Christ. And so what you described in your upbringing with those uh, liturgical movements and gestures is meant to contemplate something that is certainly beyond us. This incredible condescension of the second person in the Trinity, that he would come into our midst. Uh, and I'll come back to awe in a second, but just to acknowledge this is in some ways, um, it confounds us. If you look at uh, Christian art and depictions of the life of Christ uh, pre-Renaissance, the iconographers often portrayed, quote unquote, baby Jesus as a little man. It's deplorable. It like, it's I'll this little tiny honest, guy. Right? Yeah, He's yeah. a little man. 
because they were man. They they were in they were uncomfortable with it. Right. Um, he pooped his like right. Jesus crapped in his toga. Like, right. let's be honest, right? right. He was right. fully human. And what do we do with it? Like you said, it's incomprehensible. I'll be 10,000 years in paradise, God willing, and will not be able to penetrate the mystery of how the omnipotent son of God had to learn to walk from his mother and his father, from, from Mary and Joseph chosen from the people of Israel to raise the son of God as their son, as their own. Back to awe. So helpful uh, language that's been invoked by the Wild at Heart team that Christmas is the equivalent in salvation history of the storming of the Normandy beachheads. I love the kind of shaking up of the categories because God bless all the Christmas traditions and the fact you can go to any big box retailer late September and Christmas decorations are now for the offering and able to purchase. We've lost a sense of what is this season truly about? It's been, it's been muted uh, maybe even a bit neutered, if I will, through this cozy sentimentality. And God bless you. Family traditions, the way you celebrate Christmas, the way you honor the birth of our Lord, that is all good. But let's keep that with Christmas and embrace the invitation to deeper awe, deeper inspiration that Advent offers. If you think about Advent as a time of expectation, we need to return to that place of longing. If truly Christ is the fulfillment of all that we desire, if we don't interrupt the many ways we fill our days and our lives with activity, with busyness, with distraction, with coping, with comfort, just to sort of avoid the holy tension, the holy place of just being in a place of desire, what does the old hymn say? O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. When I stopped as a teenager like you trying to hold on to the deep magic, when I stopped kind of rattling off the words and out of my own young adulthood, suddenly embraced that as a prayer. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And it's not, you know, some sort of distant historical event 2000 years ago it's a personal encounter today in the now where i need to push out the things that i use as really cheap substitutes for god and simply embrace god that is the beauty um to point to one of the beautiful elements of this for over 14 1500 years the church has held to something called the O antiphons. O come, O come, Emmanuel is actually a, a very simple um, expression of these O antiphons. But for the week leading up to Christmas, from the 17th of December through the 23rd, the church invokes Christ through these titles, beginning with O, O being an expression of awe, of desire, of adoration, of supplication of putting God in his right place in our in our world and so just have a few of these here the first is O sapientia O wisdom the second begins with O Adonai O Lord O sacred Lord of ancient Israel 
in Latin, O radix Jesse, O flower of Jesse's tree, invoking all of these titles under which Jesus was and is known because it's meant to build just to take seven days and for seven days under these O antiphons called the great antiphons of Advent and various traditions um, still use them to this day. It's meant to express something, point something, orient us towards something that he has made himself known. He has made himself known. I really appreciate the term that you use of interruption, that Advent was meant to interrupt us. And when I combine that with this idea of awe, and in in my study this year, Simon, it's been really helpful to begin to grasp this fear of the Lord was actually less to do with fear as we understand it in modern times and more to do with the awe, the, the wonder, the astonishment that our hearts were meant to have towards God and his kingdom. And I just think that what I think as a man, this return to Advent for me is an invitation for constant interruption to get my soul to return to these core questions of who is this man, Jesus? And why does it matter? And what happens when I let him in? You know, Dallas said that Christianity is more of me belonging to more of God, that there are more parts of me that have never experienced the revelation of Christmas, right? But and even just real practically speaking, this year, as you know, we've been journeying through the Bible with the Bible Project and the app that they offer. And for listeners, if you're listening to this podcast, you've already heard the last three of the invitation to journey with us for a year together starting in January. And I've been immersed and saturated in the gospels over this past month, all four. And for the first time getting a fresh revelation of, of the different persuasions that each of these um, narrators is bringing. Cause these are biographies of Jesus in very particular lenses of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But what's been moving me lately, Simon, about this Jesus, this fully God and fully man, is I'm diving into the parables and I am encountering a man who was single, who was not married, and yet he was fully satisfied as a man. You think about that. He, I, I'm so deeply moved by his sexual integrity. I am so deeply moved by his esteem and honor and the dignity towards which he interacts with women, particularly in a culture that women were a second-class citizen at best. It was expected that he not treat them well according to really what they deserve, and that's okay, and he wasn't that kind of man. And, and, and Simon, I'm so moved that he has this capacity to be full, like he is well, and he doesn't need the affection, the comfort of a woman to be satisfied. Now, understand, he has a heart to receive love and compassion. It's amazing to watch him with like Mary and Martha and the beautiful story of Mary pours the expensive perfume and usually uses, uses her hair to massage it into his feet. Like that is a very sensual act. 
And for him to, in that passage, it's very clear he receives her love. He's not closed off. He's not self-sufficient, but he's so satisfied in the life of God. He doesn't come as a consumer. He doesn't come with a need that, that has a certain requirement to other people and particularly to women and particularly to a spouse. In some ways, he's the most qualified man to be a husband because of his well-being. And so that's just one example that I have found myself in awe of the person of Jesus Christ in the last two weeks in a fresh dimension that then as I turn to Christmas and the miracle of, of God incarnate and the person of God actually having you know, a bowel movement they didn't wear diapers. So in his little baby toga, I don't know what they wore. Like it, it, it blows my categories. And then the next step is how do then do I steward that sort of experience for my family? So I'm moved by this idea of, will I let Advent interrupt me? How do I return to awe? And where it leads me, my question to you is like, and so nuts and bolts, when we get down to ground level, simple practices, like ordinary everyday life in these four weeks leading up to Christmas. When you look back over your story, Simon, from boyhood to the, the these modern years of you fathering and being a husband and being a, a leader in the business realm, like what is it that you do? How is it that you carve out practices that are the architecture of masculine initiation expressed in the season of Advent? I, in my own personal story, uh, deal with, with a lot of uh, shame and, and areas of woundedness around shame. I love the scripture around Jesus healing the leper. The leper approaches, and first thing that Jesus does is he touches him. Mm. He doesn't say anything. He touches him. There's this embrace. In our own sinfulness, are we willing to use Advent to be number one in a posture, joyful anticipation, to be expectant that God will come and touch those hurting, those wounded, those, those difficult places. Um, even just the idea that he was born in Bethlehem. This wasn't Jerusalem. This wasn't Rome. This wasn't one of the great cities of the ancient world. This was this tiny little place, Bethlehem being the, the Hebrew for house of bread. How beautiful is that? that? That Jesus reveals himself as the bread of life. And, and there's this approachability. Um, I've had uh, various uh, spiritual directors, mentors, friends talk about, you know, what if you took the posture of the kings, the wise men from the east, these magi, who would have had to leave months before the actual birth of Christ took place, but having read the portents in the sky, creation itself was starting to revolve around the coming of the Son of God. There's something to that, that you can actually go on this pilgrimage, as Dallas says, or to take on this adventure, spiritually speaking, to prepare a place. I, uh, for my own ways, um, I like the comforts of food. I like the comforts of uh, the dessert uh, table, so to speak. It's really important for me to push off as late as possible into the month of December, uh, indulging in some of the Christmas treats or the special coffees or um, the, the, 
the foods that have that festive nature, um, not because, you know, food is this corrupting influence. It's just important for me in terms of how I'm eating, how I'm consuming to stay in a posture of we're not yet at Christmas, mm. that Christmas is the 25th of December. And then liturgically, it goes on for 12 days. There's a there's a beautiful Christmas season. It's not just 24 hours. Um, being able to be a bit countercultural, a bit outside of the building momentum of December with all the shopping and the Christmas carols and the shopping malls and the festivities to stay in that place of, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, God with us. Some churches will have something called lessons and carols. It's a vigil, vigil meaning a prayer of the evening where the story is told. Um, it's hard to do this in our technology laden space and, and having such a familiarity with the Christmas story and the gospel accounts that support it. But to be in a, a place of awe to sort of hear this for the first time, you know, when the angel of the Lord came to, to, to Mary and said, behold, highly favored one. Um, you know, she was perplexed and wondered what this greeting might be. And her words are, be it done unto me according to your word. There's this assent to what God is doing. And th- I want that to be my prayer. Jesus, you are the Lord of my life be it done unto me according to your word. Because what comes out of that is a beautiful surrender, a yielding, a posture of the good centurion, you know, I'm not worried you should come under my roof, but only say the word and your servant will be healed. Those are are helpful ways uh, to do that. If I could just touch on a few of the maybe external signs, especially for maybe the listeners who have children, you know, Advent's a beautiful, beautiful time. And I love the childlike posture that, that's helpful. But there is a calendar. Um, you can follow the Advent days one by one. You can go to different places to get what's called a calendar and you open various doors. Sometimes the calendar is, is uh, set up around a nativity scene or a, a Bible type scene. Um, the idea of the Advent wreath where you, again, back to this color purple, that's a, a, a signal of the dawn, that the light is coming. There's three purple candles and a pink candle, pink candle being for a particular Sunday in Advent, which is known as Gaudete Sunday or Rejoice Sunday. It's a light, small anticipation of Christmas. It's like the church saying, hey, keep going. We're almost there. We're almost mm-hmm. there. St. Francis of Assisi um, is so well regarded in the Christian world and beyond it. He had a heart to, again, make this coming of the incarnate Son of God in Bethlehem a little more tangible. Um, He is credited with the first manger or creche scene where you have the figures of the nativity scene present in a place where you can come and pray and and literally break down a bit of that uh, sort of contrived stuff in the way between our understanding. Oh, wait a minute. This is the son of God. And yet an incredible, awesome, awesome mystery. He is laying in this manger. So that's a beautiful, beautiful thing to bring, bring Christ approachable. Um, Obviously Christmas lights, you know, in this darker time of the year, those lights are put up to just literally decorate the homes and make them places of warmth and welcome at night. 
but also they point to Christ is the light that shines in the darkness, the darkness did not overcome it. Um, one of the things that I was influenced by as a young guy, um, I knew some Eastern European families, they had this beautiful thing. And again, share this with uh, the moms and the dads out there who have young children. They, these Eastern European families would lay out the manger scene. Baby Jesus is not yet in the crib because it's not yet Christmas. He hasn't been born yet. So we'll just put him in a tucked away place and he'll come out, you know, Christmas Eve night. But into the manger itself, there would be this empty, empty manger. And then to one side, they put a small piece of a uh, small uh, bit of hay or straw. You can get it at the farm and feed store. And the idea was with young children, if any time you did an act of charity on behalf of somebody else during Advent, you put one piece of straw into the manger. And what is beautiful about that is that over the course of Advent, as you continue to encourage acts of charity and thinking of others and, and, and putting others before yourself, especially with young people, um, the manger fills with straw. And so we make this soft mm. bed for baby Jesus again, just a little way again, bored from these Eastern uh, Christian families who, who brought that from their country. Um, it just spoke to me that uh, it makes a bit of the practice tangible and with the tangibility of it, uh, just, just, communicates beyond words. I love the practical nature of those ideas. And my wheels are spinning of just ideas that come off of those ideas of how do we bring it into our story, into our family culture. Like you said, that adding the straw to the manger where it's very tactile, it's very um, engaging with little kids, and they're preparing the way they're preparing a place to receive the king, that it's being written and formed in their soul. And then here you are as an adult going, the world is just indulging, right? The, the, the energy of culture is let everything go in December, overeat, you know, be undisciplined, and then repent in January, do a cleanse, set these enormous goals that are unattainable, right? That's what you do if you're... Uh, you know, a modern day person on the wide road. And for you to say, what if, what if December is actually the time where we actually allow ourselves this certain uh, restraint because we're anticipating a celebration, we're anticipating a coming and just even the simple act of foregoing some decadent treats or libations for a time when the world is is just partying on. Like it's it's practical activities that access the soul that form us in our everyday life. In our household, the Advent wreath has been a regular architecture for our Advent as well. As you said, it's four candles, it's four Sundays, very different seasons, different when we had little kids, and now we have teenagers, as you do. But the power of simply stopping once a week, for four weeks, turning off all the lights, turning off the technology, and lighting a real flame, and being a family in a circle around a flame, and all the imagery of Christ as the light that comes into darkness. And I'm watching that get seated in the souls of my kids, that they don't have to understand the, the deep mystery of Advent. 
But what we're doing is putting pins on the map of their masculine and feminine initiation and the simple act of saying it's Sunday, it's Advent, everything gets turned off, the lights, the TVs, the phones, and someone gets to light a candle. And we actually are adding this year the new feature that Jesus prompted me is you can buy a creme brulee torch that's like a a burner, right? You know what torches are. You're a chef. Like there's nothing like good fire. And I'm going to let the kids use a creme brulee torch to fire up the advent wreath. And 20 years from now, they won't forget that. And so what I want to name is these, these practical practices are accessible. They are available here and now. And the question is, what is on time for you in your walk with God and your family culture. As we explore these ideas, Simon, I think I'm aware that our listeners are all over the globe and this is hitting them in the midst of their full lives. And the central battle is the constant dividing and diffusing of our attention and our affection. The the world system is fueled by an energy to distract us and divide our attentions and our affections. And so Advent and the liturgical practices are an on-ramp to recover our attention and our affection. And so as we kind of turn a corner and we're nearing a close to this conversation, our listeners out there, when we kind of bring it into a what do we do with this? And where do we go in summary? Where would you take us? I think a return to that heart of a child that out of the generosity of the father, the gift, the self-gift of the son and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the words that the prophet fulfilled look The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall name him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. As you in this Advent time anticipate, expect, uh, come to Advenio, this Jesus who reveals himself as a child, reveals himself in the scriptures as the one who will come again to judge the living and the dead as you compare the condition and state of your heart to the wise and the foolish virgins, the parable of Matthew 25, what stirs within you? First of all, be at peace. Um, we're, We're not experts at this. It's about an act of generosity in the heart, in the soul, in our practices to create a space. And yes, sometimes it starts with little things like as the world is spooling up with football season, we're gonna seek greater silence, solitude, not not isolation, time protected with the Lord. Pulling out the book of Isaiah and the other prophets to read the prophecies and to just think about for a short period of time, what would it have been like five years before the event of Jesus' nativity took place and you're with your neighbors and friends who are just crying out for the coming of the Messiah. In terms of that feeling of awe and mystery, 
that Christ would be revealed as a child, but would also um, come into human history through the yes of this woman, Mary of Nazareth, be it done unto me according to your word. Maybe those words are our words. And then as you get these little glimpses, these little moments of the fragrance, when mystery draws near and the, the veil gets thin, take some time to journal, take some time to write it down. Um, I, I, I think it's not some sort of um, inaccessible set of practices. These are very easy, simple things. And it's about the larger story and just taking the risk. Uh, and I know from my experience, you know, even just the simple thing of turning off the radio so that the Christmas carols aren't playing on the 5th of December, maybe <laughs> I start playing them on the 20th of December, that kind of right. thing. Um, just to say, Lord, you know, it matters because I need that. It matters because it's not up to me. It matters because I don't want to live a small, cramped story of self-determination, of, of, of self-saving whatever that is just futile. I want to be in a posture of receiving. Um, and I've had those moments, you know, Christmas Eve night, driving to Christmas liturgy, and suddenly something about the shepherds who were tending their flocks by night breaks over me. Some insight of the scripture is revealed not because I worked up to it and, and, and there was this breakthrough. No, 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 no. I just became still and by his grace knew God was God and then could contemplate and enter more in a, in a better place of preparation to uh, the, 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 the feast of Christmas, the awesome mystery that it is, and the beautiful, beautiful days which follow. I think one of the kindest ways we could conclude this podcast is to give a gift to the listeners out there, the like-hearted, uh, in real time, in this moment, to invite them in a sort of pre-advent reflection and meditation. And so in this moment, we just invite you to pause. Advent is a season of awakening in preparation for the coming of our King. It's fascinating how Jesus uses the phrase that we have fallen asleep. It's funny to think about that in a busy world, in a loud world, in a distracted world, to think that he would use the phrase that we have fallen asleep. And he used it in the story of Lazarus when he died. Mary sent the message to Jesus that her brother Lazarus was very ill. And the message got to Jesus. But Jesus stayed where he was for more days. And during those days, Lazarus passed away. When Jesus finally got to Lazarus, he makes this interesting statement. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and I am going to wake him up. And the disciples said to Jesus, Master, if he's gone to sleep, he'll get a good rest and he'll wake up feeling fine. But Jesus was talking about death while his disciples thought he was talking about taking a nap. And then Jesus became explicit. Lazarus 
died. And I am glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. You're about to be given new grounds for believing. Now let's go get him. And so Jesus comes into the scene and through a brilliant story, Jesus grieves the loss of Lazarus. And then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. He turned to his friends and said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus approached Mary and he approached the tomb and he said, go ahead, take away the stone. They removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and prayed, Father, I am grateful that you have listened to me. I know you always do listen, but on account of this crowd standing here, I've spoken so that they might believe that you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And he came out, and a cadaver wrapped from head to toe with a handkerchief over his face, Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him loose. Friends, there is a sleep that comes over our hearts in the busy, in the distraction, in the diffusion of our energy. Parts of us go to sleep and the invitation is to be reawakened. Our imagination to be reawakened, our heart as men to be reawakened, our strength to be reawakened, our conviction to be reawakened, our vision to be reawakened, our centering on the life of God to be reawakened, our posture of being students and sons, of being apprentices in God's kingdom, of our life in the primary through line being that of our masculine initiation into wholehearted maturity to be reawakened. And so on this day, in this moment, I pause and I say, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, our attention and our affection on the risen Christ has fallen asleep. God, I invite you to help us get to know you, to relate with you afresh, awakened, to notice your personality, to get to recover your way with people, to receive a fresh invitation back to the real Jesus, to listen to some of the closest companions that traveled with you of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to turn to those stories of a man like Luke who actually wasn't with you in everyday life, but he traveled with Paul. He never had the privilege of knowing you, but he knew the fruit of your life on the life of Paul. He lived through shipwreck and he lived through miracle to learn about your life and to draw closer to you through the eyes and the heart and the persuasion and the story of Mark 
and Luke and Matthew and John. God, I want to recover my attention in a distracted world. I want to recover my affection in a world that's constantly dividing. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate my imagination in this moment as I'm reminded, Jesus, that you say you are the bread of heaven. How do you want to be the food that my masculine soul needs today? You are a good shepherd. The scriptures remind us that when we come home to this revelation, we become the kind of person in whom there is no lack, that we are fully satisfied. We have more than enough. Reveal yourself today as my shepherd. Jesus, you are a light in darkness. How are you illuminating my story? Jesus, you are a gate. You are the way back into safe pasture, into abundance of feast, into protection and care. Jesus, how is it that you are my gate today? Protecting and providing the coming and the going, the safe boundaries and your borders being in pleasant places. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. I receive you afresh today, Jesus, as the way, as the truth, and as my life. Jesus, you are the true vine, and I am a branch being invited to be grafted into that vine, to actually tap into the abundance of your provision, the nourishment, the stature, the well-being, the integrity of being that exists within yourself as a vine. Show me today how you are the vine and I am the branch. Jesus, you are fountain of living water. The scriptures remind me that there is a fountain of life that as I drink, from this fountain, I will never thirst again. This fountain flows to overflowing. It's never ending. It's fully satisfying. It's more than enough. Jesus, how do you want to be a river of life, a splashing fountain overflowing on this day? Jesus, you are the path to the Father that your goal is the Father and that you make a way for me to the Father. Reveal to me today, Jesus, risen, that you are making the path for me to return home to my Father. What am I holding too tightly on that I refuse to let go of? And how do you want to open my hands so that I can not only let go of the things that I am holding on too tightly to, 
but also to make room for my hands to receive the treasures that you are wanting to bring to me and to those through me under my care. Jesus, you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. You came into the human story. You came into creation. You came to the earth to display the possibility of what it's like to live in a broken world with integrity and wholeness of heart. You model masculine restoration. What are you revealing to me today, Father? What are the implications of Emmanuel, God with us? Jesus, you are the King of Kings. I consent to you as my King afresh on this day. I am in your service and I have been placed under your care and your confidence. I am your King. Help me to become your King in your kingdom. I choose to live for you. I choose to live with you. I choose to live through you. Your life in me, your life in my life, your breath, reviving me, resuscitating me. Jesus, I choose on this day to ready my heart for the Advent season. I pray that you would give me grace to bless the portion and the pace and the rhythm, to let everything go that's not serving you or me, and to take up in strength and courage and vulnerability the portion that you have for me in this Advent season, for my own heart as your son, father, and Jesus as a warrior and as a king, would you show me how to steward the mission of Advent to the hearts entrusted to my care? Would you show me how to offer my strength to protect the treasure, to stay in awe and wonder, and to make our hearts ready to receive the fullness of your incarnation? consecrate this Advent season and we ask for a fresh gift from you, wisdom and revelation that you would lead me, Father, as I lead others. Show me what you have. Friends, as always, we'll close with 45 seconds of silence. So I invite you to linger here. Some of the references that we have in this podcast, you can find in Become Good Soil on the podcast listing for this episode. But for now, I invite you, open your heart to the heart of God, your ears to the voice of God, your soul to the presence of God. And before other things, I invite you to be here to allow yourself to be saturated with the life of God, 
Amen.